Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast. I'm Chelsea, and today we have Dr. Stephen Kurtz back on the show. Um, he is the president of Kurtz Psychology Consulting in New York, and he created both the camp models Mighty Mouth Kids and Brave Buddies. He also developed PCITSM, the treatment protocol, and, and SM University. Um, so welcome back. I also heard you recently got a new member in the family. Oh, we're so in love. <laughs> a little puppy, right? That's right. And if I mentioned all his nicknames, it would use up all of our time. But <laughs> Buttercup is his formal name. Buttercup. That's so cute. What kind of dog? He is a cockapoo. Oh, I love Great therapy dog. And yeah. I decided on that because the Carly Mayer, who's a psychologist in our practice until just recently, had a cockapoo who was uh, actually a trained therapy dog. Oh. So uh, he's already been useful to me in that regard. <laughs> yeah, he's adorable. Um, so yeah, um, the topic today is kind of, I. you suggested a bunch of great topics and advocacy was one of them and as well as success stories. And I kind of thought they were both <laughs> could go together in a way. Um, I'm curious what you're thinking about for advocacy, just because you can go different directions. Like we can talk about self-advocacy as well as like, how do you advocate for your child with SM? So I'm curious. Yeah, true. We, we could go in different directions. I had in mind self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I'm asked as a, as a child psychologist more generally, for example, when does sex education begin? It begins with the first bath, right? Mm-hmm. The, the tone and the language and it's always evolving. And I think when I think about kids with selective mutism, um, I think about the self-advocacy of I need to go to the nurse or I need to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then I think fast forward to college, uh, advocating for whatever it is your individual plan calls for. And mm-hmm. I'm, I always think about when John Kohlmeyer, who I know has been a guest on your program, yeah. He, he has gotten into the uh, habit of doing parent training with me for our intensives, for our groups. And I remember one time I was with a group of parents and he was up at college and he was in a room I didn't recognize. I said, John, where are you? He said, I'm in the health service. And I said, well, how did you get a room there? He said, well, I just told them I have special needs and I need a room. Can I get one? And they said, sure. And I thought that was just a fabulous example, you know, live with this group of parents about what advocacy means yeah I think that is something that I still struggle with like um, I just try to get by on my own without asking for additional supports even though I could benefit from them sometimes I think it's hard to but there's a little known secret which is that whenever anybody is being assertive um, there is a normal range of uh, activation or arousal so if I ask somebody back in the old days to move their cigarette to the other side in a restaurant, or if I ask a waiter to reheat something because it's not up to the temperature that I want, there is an arousal that comes with that. Only if you're prone to anxiety or selective mutism, it just makes it a bit a harder challenge, mm-hmm. right? Instead of a four, it's a seven. Yeah. You and just I, want things to be as easy as possible <laughs> without complicating and, and I know it. From experience working with kids with SM, the way we train advocacy is to practice, rehearse, 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 mm-hmm. and then give it a go. I remember with uh, with one young boy who had gotten on the wrong bus 
And he couldn't tell the bus driver that he'd gotten mm -hmm. off the bus. So we took 13 chairs and we put them in the hallway at the Child Study Center. Why 13? Because we had like four rows of, three rows of four and a driver's, <laughs> and a driver's seat. And we just practiced, you know, me sitting in the front pretending to be the driver and him tapping me on the shoulder and saying, I'm on the wrong bus. I need help. Uh, yeah. So I think advocacy is a, a developmental process. I was talking yesterday with parents of a high school teen with SM. If this kid doesn't learn how to uh, ask for things, she's going to be in real trouble when she goes to college. Mm -hmm. Advocacy or assertive tasks that a child or a person will need at different stages. So mm -hmm. you can throw out an age to me. Let's take five. Yep. You need to be able to say, I'm playing with that toy. It's mine. You need to be able to say, I need to go to the bathroom. You need to be yep. able to say, I need to go to the nurse. If you fast forward to, you know, 11, 12, 13, it's practicing. I need help with this assignment. I don't understand. Um, so at any given stage, we could identify some things that normally one would need to do that comes under advocacy or assertion. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's so many times that I could have benefited from that growing up. Like I, all through school, I struggled so much with math and I just never asked for help until I was much older, like in high school. Um, but yeah, you can really get left behind if you can't advocate for yourself. So it's you know, frankly, I've wondered over the years why kids with SM don't have more academic problems than they mm -hmm. do, because I was a big question asker and yeah. can't imagine how I could have gotten through school and succeeded as well as I did if I didn't ask questions. Right. So I think the parental task and the teacher task is uh, practice, practice, practice mm -hmm. and giving opportunities to use it in a, in a real life setting. Yeah. I guess one of the things I was thinking of before this podcast was with SM, especially you see parents who are rescuing their kids. And I think that also plays a role in advocacy as well as just the whole speaking part of it, where if you're such a great advocate for your kid, they don't need to be a good advocate for themselves. So I'm just wondering, like, how can you get parents oh, to kind of oh. take a step back? Yeah. Girl, you pick something I'm very passionate about yeah. because um, the sweet spot between uh, accommodating and enabling is really, really a tough call for parents. And what I mean by that is if you, if you speak for your child, let's say, in a restaurant, on the one hand, you're depriving them of the opportunity to learn to do that for themselves and to feel that anxiety and get through it. On the other hand, if they're actually not ready for that task, then ordering for them is perfectly appropriate. So in one case, it might be accommodating in the best sense of the word. And in the other case, it might be enabling. So yes. I think that that's a very nuanced kind of thing for parents to get because they can feel like they get a bad rap for overly accommodating. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the other hand, kids are not ready for every task. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people struggle with that. They're like, when do I know, uh, like, when to push my kid and when to kind of hold back? It's definitely hard. <laughs> yes, and we, we work with the language with parents. So mm -hmm. even the idea that they're pushing their kid 
that sounds pushy is a negative it's mm -hmm. a um, pejorative uh adjective right yeah when you're pushy in in our society so we try to reframe it as giving opportunities to experience a little bit of distress knowing that you can push through it mm -hmm. yeah there's a, there's a four-part mantra that i borrowed from a guy named dr ellie Leibowitz. he's at yale and he developed a program called the space program which is supportive parenting and i'm forgetting uh in the moment what the other letters stand for but it's a program to help parents change their behavior appropriately and supportively so here's the four-part mantra that i that i borrowed from it number one sweetie we love you very much number two we know it's really hard for you to blank number three we're 100 percent sure and confident that you can blank and that blank the third one is a subset of number two and the fourth part of the mantra is and we're going to help you by blanking mm -hmm. it might be practicing it might be getting a treat after you do this hard task mm -hmm. so an example might be i know it's really hard for you to tell your teacher that you need to go to the nurse but i'm 100 percent confident that you and i can practice with your teacher together and we're gonna celebrate your practicing by going to the park, by having a friend over, by going to Dairy Queen, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. it's a systematic way that parents can help teach their kids to advocate for themselves. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a part of your SM University course too, I think. I think it was added after, because we made okay. that in 2015 and I only met Ellie and heard about his program a little bit later. So I'm oh. not sure it's included in that. It's somewhere on there on your somewhere. website or something. Yeah, because oh, I've heard it before. Way, by the way, on in June, I think it's June 4th, 5th, 6th, or 7th, I forget. Um, one of the therapists in my practice is doing a webinar for SMA. It's free uh, on um, the sweet spot between enabling and, uh, and accommodating. Oh, nice. Yeah. I can share that too. That would that would be Ian <laughs> Fogelson who's uh, doing that webinar for SMA. Yeah. Okay. We can share that. Um, I guess kind of to loop into the whole success stories. Um, I think advocacy advocacy is definitely tied to success, so that's kind of why I wanted to do both. Um, um, we didn't really talk about like education and awareness either, but I think that's a big part of advocacy that I'm just getting comfortable with now as an adult, like spreading um, education about SM and just openly talking about my experiences so that we can get more awareness out there. Um, so I, got just, for, I got news for you. You're doing a podcast. You're doing it, girl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're trying. Um, so I guess what do you define how do you define success for someone who has selective mutism? That's a great question. I define success as having goals that are not changed or limited because you experience anxiety. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is to be a pilot, then go for being a pilot and don't let SM stand in the way. Now, what would that look like? It might look like you go up in a plane with an instructor and you get comfortable talking to your instructor. But the fact is to get your solo license, to get your license, you have to be able to do it with somebody you don't know who's testing you while you're up in the sky. And it took John Colmeyer, I believe, three years to get his solo after he was ready for his test. So I call success sticking with it until, mm -hmm. you, 
achieve a goal that you have. Yeah, I love that. So many people are like, um, how did you, how are you so successful? I'm like, I don't know if I'm successful, but they're like, based so on being di- diagnosed with selective mutism, you have overcome it and all this. But it's like, I still really struggle with anxiety, but I don't let it hold me back. So I see that as my success. <laughs> I completely agree. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really key. You and I both said it in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. You and I expect that when people overcome SM, it's highly likely that they're not overcoming feeling anxious. They're only co- overcoming the impairment right. that's associated with it. Now, there are people, many that I've treated, who completely put it behind them. In fact, they can't even remember when they were kids with SM. But I don't differentiate between that success and your success, mm-hmm. right? So you probably don't have a single day where you don't experience some social anxiety still. But here you are on a podcast and you're you know, a certified ABA therapist and you mm-hmm. have that you achieve. So I think it's important for your audience to hear that at least you and I believe, you know, who knows who else believes. Yeah. But we don't believe the absence of anxiety is what defines success. Mm-hmm. That may be a novel concept to people, I think. Yeah, I think that's parents' focus a lot of the time. Just get rid of the anxiety. Without it, you'd be golden. But it's really what you want to do and what your personal goals are in life and being able to achieve them. Yeah. And it takes a little bit of self-awareness and, and honesty to be able to say, this is holding me back and mm-hmm. I really need to keep working on it. Yeah. I don't know if this is a good question, but are there certain qualities or certain practices you see with people who kind of overcome or um, as we said, Uh, Don't let the SM hold them back or anxiety hold them back. Yes. I think top of that list would be um, uh, having a growth mindset, Mm -hmm. which has become a a very, very popular topic. Yeah. Uh, I can try and operationalize it a little bit. Sure. (laughs) So growth mindset is understanding that the brain is elastic and that experiences can be difficult Um, and you can fall and you can get up and you can go a little bit further the next time. Mm -hmm. And it's being able to praise your effort over the, uh, your own effort over your own outcome. And I think it results in what people commonly call being gritty or persistent or resilient. Yeah. I like that. I think it's becoming more popular too. talking about that. Um, I recently, just um i did like a question and answer with a second grade classroom um my my cousin's wife is a second grade teacher so she had me come on after they read my book and asked me questions it was really cute um but they were all talking about the growth mindset it made me so excited <laughs> that is amazing yeah, yeah. there are schools uh, that build their curriculum around those those principles there's a psychologist at Stony Brook University, and it's one of the New York uh, State Universities. Mm-hmm. And she just won the Early Career Researcher Award. She's doing one session growth mindset treatments for uh, teenagers that have shown with carefully done research to be very effective in reducing anxiety and, and increasing good mental health. Wow. Yeah. In one session? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, cool. 
and it's not magic it's just good science that that's applied mm -hmm. but i think for parents the the thing to note is that kids can tolerate more distress than they initially give them credit for um, and distress doesn't mean torture it just means yeah. un unease mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I do teaching every week. I, you know, I'm teaching somebody about how to do SM stuff. And there's a video I use all the time. And it, it, I ask people, how long did it take that child to answer that question? And then I say, the answer is actually 4.9999999 seconds. <laughs> uh, which is why we say give kids, you know, uh, five seconds to respond. Yeah. You go to the next place on the flow chart. But 4.99 seconds is a long time. Mm -hmm. And parents aren't used to uh, letting their kids experience. Yeah. yeah. It's, you ha kind of have to learn how to wait. You definitely have to. Learn. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten good at that with um, my clients as well. You wonder what happens in those five seconds. I you? know. Like, and it feels on? really long. Even when you're the person on the other side, like when I was little and people would wait me out, it felt horrible like it felt like it was an hour <laughs> like so uncomfortable <laughs> as you know our company mottos get comfortable being uncomfortable yeah <laughs> yes i like that i heard I, I heard someone describe that as a kurtzism yes i heard that <laughs> i don't know who said that but i like it <laughs> i heard that too i thought that was very cute it's funny but yeah do you have any like feel good success stories you wanted to share before we yeah close um <laughs> I think about the very first camp I ran, which was 2009, and we had a girl who earned her prize every day of the week, as they all do, because we help them be successful at something. Mm -hmm. And so she'd come up to the prize store, and she said, uh, we said, what's your name? She said her name. We said, how many points did you get? She said, how many points she got? And which prize do you want? And she would point. And this happened on Monday, and she couldn't say what it was. And it happened that her parents got her the Melissa and Doug Velcro mm -hmm. pizza. If you're a parent, people know that one. She couldn't say it on Monday. She couldn't say it on Tuesday. She couldn't say it on Wednesday. She couldn't say it on Thursday. And she still couldn't say it Friday. And the way I left it with her was, we will keep this prize until you're able to say that you want the pizza. It took her until Christmas week to be able to do it from August until Christmas. That's like four months later to be able yeah. to do it. Well, fast forward, she was captain of her school's basketball team. She went to sleepaway camp. She gave a, a speech at graduation on overcoming oh. mutism. To me, those are, are the success stories. The kids yeah. had it really bad at some point and then managed to, to put it behind them. Just I'm about to get a new computer. I'm going to the Apple store after uh, I do this with you. Oh, yeah. Because literally a minute ago, I'm two weeks post-vaccination. So nice. <laughs> going to go back out in public. Awesome. Uh, anyway, I was looking at videos, and there was one of a kid that when I met him at age four, he wasn't talking to either parent uh, and not talking uh, already for quite a while to kids or teachers in school, the classic. Mm -hmm. That being the classic kind of presentation, the parents' part is certainly not classic. Um, and I learned a lot from him, but I happen to be trying to clear videos off my computer that I'm about to retire. And I saw a video I had from his 
bar mitzvah, his uh, you know religious uh, mm-hmm. rite of passage when he was uh, 13. And I just thought it was amazing because I was with him once when he was walking down the hallway with me to a second grade ceremony. And as I'm holding his hand going to the elevator, he said to me, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, uh, uh, he thinks I'm killing him. <laughs> and I'm simply walking into an exposure task. And to think that that same kid in that same building a few years later was leading a service. And by the way, they give these kids in, he was in a fairly uh, religious school. They give them choices of how much of the service they do. They could do a little, little bit. They can do a medium or they can lead the service. This kid chose to lead the service. Wow. Yeah. To me, that's a success story. Yeah. I feel like so many of these kids, I they want to be involved and they really want more than anything to be that person who can do it. It just feels so unattainable. So once they feel like they can do it, they're going to go for it. And unfortunately, <laughs> parents and teachers get fooled by the affect that the child presents before they get treatment. Mm-hmm. Because the affect says, you better stay the hell away from me because if you don't, you're going to kill me. Do you want to be responsible for my death? (laughs) And I'm sure you gave that look. Like when your mom got confused and she thought you were being oppositional, you were just trying to communicate to people, I don't have confidence that I can do this. Mm -hmm. So please, please do not make me do this. Yeah. And you would bat your cute little eyes. You're adorable. (laughs) I would do anything to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I agree. It's such an important point for your listeners that kids want to, they just mm-hmm. don't know that help that they, they don't know that they can do it mm-hmm. that, uh, that we meet them, but I believe they want to. Yeah, I do too. You have any more? <laughs> oh, do I have more? more? <laughs> sure. Let's sure. see one more from the, uh, yeah. Um, working with a girl when she was uh, about five, And then uh, she had some good success and then she went to middle school and for the very first time she had to give an oral report. Mm -hmm. And it was a a parent kind of thing where they would be stopping at different stations and these guys had to come up in character with a famous person and uh, give like a 90 second spiel in the character that they were being. Mm -hmm. So this girl chose Amelia Earhart. And she came to the office and first practiced her speech with me in my private office. And then she practiced in our conference room with me, with nobody else there. And then with one other person there, and then with a few people there, and then in costume. And the day of at school, she could not do it in the room where all the parents and kids were, but she was able to do it with her best friend and her mom in a separate room. And to me, that was a huge success. So yeah. that, she was like 12. Fast forward last February, a month before the pandemic started, and we had our winter camp. She came and pretended to be a waitress in the in the pizza restaurant that we were at and <laughs> took orders from our kids, knowing the PCIT SM paradigm. So she knew to say, do you want, uh, you know, pepperoni, oh. mushrooms or something else? Yep. You know, do you want the soda or something else? That kind of thing. So to me, that was a huge success story. Uh, And I can just see the trajectory that she'll be on. Yeah, that's amazing. I just, I really want people who are listening to hear these stories because I think 
sometimes they don't see that there's hope. And I see people ask the question all the time, has anyone ever overcome selective mutism? And I always answer, yes, like, absolutely, it's possible. So, But it's always after hard work, Mm -hmm. lifestyle, lots of opportunities to practice. Yeah, I wish there was just an easy answer for this is how you do it. But because people ask me all the time, how did you, how did you do it? It's like, it wasn't easy. It was really hard. I wish it was an easy answer too. Battle every day. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming back on. I think we're right at half an hour so we can, can end it now. (laughs) Um, Pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm glad that people find you through the podcast and, that's really awesome. I think it's a wonderful resource to share. Um, like SM I University, I love to share that with everyone. Can I mention one more date? Yeah. May 5th, uh, a weekday evening, I think at 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Uh, I'm doing a webinar for the SMA, the Selective Mutism Association, on uh, medication. Okay. Always a big controversy. It's a big topic, yeah. Big, big topic. And it's basically, you know, who, what, where, when, why, and how of medication. And it's a free webinar. So we hope the awesome. uh, audience right. will uh, take us up on that. Yeah, I love to share the free free webinars are great. I was going to ask you, are your camps in person this year? Or are you doing virtual we're stuff? Doing, we're actually doing both. We're doing mm-hmm. two in-person camps and two virtual camps in the summer. That's awesome. We're very excited about that. Uh, every day, the uh, situation is changing. Um, yeah. As of this morning, 35% of New Yorkers had at least their first vaccine. And as of April 5th, uh, if you're coming from another state, mm-hmm. you don't have to quarantine for 10 days. Wow. So, uh, yeah, we're all very happy to have the yeah. going in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chelsea. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great day.